0: Our text this morning is verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3, I will put enmity between you and the woman, you being the serpent, and between your offspring or seed and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. One of our our chaplaincy uh, team members was uh, conducting an assembly in a primary school last week and he mentioned the word Christmas and it was just an aside, the the theme wasn't Christmas, he just mentioned it uh, inadvertently and the result was starting it through the the kids into a state of high frenzy as though they had been uh, consuming bottles of of uh, sugar drinks in the hour before. They, they just went completely over the top, and the teacher commented, that's what happens when you mention the C word. Well, I don't know if, if you're someone who likes to prepare well in advance uh, of, of a trip. Uh, when, when we're going uh, to spend a few days with my parents in Skye, my mother will, will be on the phone and she'll ask, uh, are you all packed in and ready for the trip uh, north? And to which I'll answer, uh, no, Mum, it's another five days before we leave. We'll pack the day before. But but they tend to be hyper-organised. There are, of course, events for which preparations well in advance are most appropriate. And most large cities, for example, will have disaster plans. They will have a a plan somewhere for some kind of major event, some major event. Emergency, which will mean that all of the uh, emergency services have to be coordinated and they will have our rehearsals and so on for these plans, are put in place well in advance of such an event. Friends, God's plan for our salvation was no last minute preparation, uh, it was prepared before the world was created. God wasn't taken by surprise when man fell into sin. Uh, He had an arrangement in place with the Son, and that arrangement, that plan or covenant, was to save a people for himself. And God gives advance notice of this salvation plan and how it's going to unfold, and he gives it right at the beginning of his holy word. It's not amazing. Uh, We're just into the third chapter of this a holy book, and we have mention of the coming of the Savior. Here is Christmas, right at the beginning of the word. And we've got the gospel in miniature here. Uh, you know how if you have a, a, a little acorn, then uh, the scientists tell us that all the genetic material of a mighty oak is in that little acorn. Well, we have all the, the DNA of the gospel, if you like, In this verse, in verse 15, uh, we've got it all. And it's a verse that speaks to us about a curse and a conflict and a conqueror. It's about a curse, first of all. Genesis 3 uh, is, of course, a, a dark chapter. It's all about our broken relationship with God and the sin thing that came into our lives and it seems a long way away from the the magic of Christmas, the baby in the manger and the adoring shepherds. But remember that the the elements of the Christmas story in themselves aren't anything to get terribly excited about. Cattle sheds smell. Shepherds have never been, uh, or real shepherds, have never been Hollywood material. Uh, even babies being born in outhouses may make the local newspaper for a while, but they're soon forgotten about. And if I can say so reverently, God visiting earth in itself is not an occasion for uh, joy. It's actually an occasion for dread and foreboding that a holy God should come near to us. To get uh, the whole thing about Christmas, we need to know that it is God's answer to humanity's deep problem. Otherwise, it's mere sentiment. It's as silly as someone getting excited about a new detergent, for example, because of the packaging. Unless this stuff removes stains, then it's all stupid hysteria. Uh, It doesn't make sense to get excited about the, 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 the box and the covering of the carton. And the incarnation, that's to say the taking on of our humanity by the Son of God at Bethlehem, happened because Adam and Eve's disobedience to God resulted in the whole of their descendants, the whole of the human race being thrown into chaos. Now if you've ever had the the misfortune to to have a virus embedded in your computer, then you know how terrible that can be. it gets through the whole system, corrupts programs, uh, it can leak information, uh, you know it can spark off uh, emails from your own account going to other people, uh, causing consternation around the world. Um, when our first parents sinned, it was like... A virus getting into the hard drive of our lives it resulted in damage in all the relationships that we have a vertical relationship with God our horizontal relationship with other people and the the relationship that we have with the creation the created earth your relationship with God is broken by sin when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the first thing that they do is they hide from God. And that's really significant because before sin entered the world, the instinctive behavior of Adam was to walk with God and converse with God. You know how if you're close to someone, uh, the the thing that you love to do is to be with them and to talk with them. And God and Adam and Eve had this kind of relationship. But sin comes into the world, and the first thing that Adam and Eve do is they hide from God. They're headed for the nearest grove of trees. Foolishly, they think that God can't see them because of so many branches and leaves. And that's one of the key symptoms of the the sin virus in our lives. We hide from God. Now, you'd think the way that uh, some people speak, that they're actually earnest seekers for God. You know, I'm, I'm, I really want to, to find God, but he's just hiding himself. Well, God doesn't hide from us. The, the biblical uh, take on our situation is that we are hiding from God. We're running from God. We're doing everything we can to, to keep God out of our lives. Living in denial. We're, like Adam and Eve, we're, we're hiding in Groves of different kind, hiding in groves of success, uh, of family, of politics, power. Uh, people declare themselves God-free know, God is not allowed here. When Alistair Campbell, Tony Blair's uh, advisor, said, we don't do God, he wasn't just speaking for Tony Blair's administration, he was speaking for humanity apart from God. We don't do God, we want to keep God out, and we'll avoid any mention of God because... Well, it makes me feel bad because I know that I'm not uh, related to him and don't want to be. So it injures our, it destroys our relationship with God and it injures your relationship with your best friend. That's what sin does. It came into Adam and Eve's relationship. They were the only two humans. It destroyed their relationship. And it began this blame game. You know, it's almost it's tragic comedy here. Adam is confronted by God and he blames Eve, the woman that you gave me gave it to me to eat. Actually, he blames God as well. It's the woman that you gave me uh, that gave it to me to eat. Now, it's doubly wrong because Adam was was made uh, to have a loving headship uh, over his wife so that he was to, to show a loving lead in the relationship. And all throughout, Adam is passive. He he takes the lead from Eve, and it's a bad lead. He ought to have stood up and uh, and directed uh, affairs differently, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he follows her in her sin, and he's all too ready to blame her when things go wrong. And then the the blame game goes down to Eve, and Eve looks around for someone to blame, and uh, the serpent deceived me and i ate it so there's this blame game that comes into our relationships and uh, even in the the closest relationship of all marriage uh there is a attempt to usurp an attempt to oppress that chauvinism that comes into relationships which is so destructive is a result of sin there's a warp within like a scratch on the cd spoiling the sound of harmony. And our relationship with the rest of creation is disordered by sin. This is a huge topic. Just to summarize, uh, there would be no pollution. There would be no soil degradation. There would be no species loss. There would be no urban alienation. There would be no obesity. There would be a whole host of things we wouldn't have any problems with if sin had not come in and distorted our relationship with the earth. And so having enjoyed being in the family, in the family of God, knowing harmony with the Lord, with one another, and with the earth, they are now out of the family. They have now been put outside the garden, and there are cherubim. There's a flaming sword guarding the way back. There's a no return sign. And the cherubim there, on guard. sentry cherubim. But before they're exiled, there's a word of promise. And it's a kind of strange word of promise because it's the promise of a conflict. It's a promise of a conflict. Addressing the serpent, who is, of course, the embodiment of Satan, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Now you say, How's that promise? How's that comfort of any kind? Surely conflict is always. A bad thing well no it's not always a bad thing sometimes you really need to fight and if you don't fight then you're going to die uh, a climber caught in the mountains in bitter cold has to keep on fighting for survival and the minute he or she stops the fight they succumb to death uh, if you where you find yourself uh, overboard, having fallen off the ship, then you need to keep fighting against the elements. The, the, the desire for rest must be overturned if you're going to win. And God comes in his sovereign grace and he converts the woman's depraved affection for Satan, her willingness to believe that he knows better than God, and instead gives her a desire to fight for God's honour. This is grace. Here's a signal that Eve, along with Adam, will look to God in faith, and it's later confirmed when God covers their nakedness with skins of animals in what was surely the first sacrifice, the first uh, shedding of blood on this earth to provide for the need of covering sin. Now, what's interesting in the verse here is that it's not just Adam and Eve, but their offspring. And the word which is literally seed in the Hebrew can mean a single descendant or a line of descendants. Same of, of the, the other word, offspring. You know, offspring can either be uh, one person or all the, the descendants. Now, taking the first part of these uh, first of all, taking the line of descendants, uh, there is a warning here that human history will reflect a struggle between two separate lines. The descendants are are the line of those who show allegiance to Satan, and the line of the, the woman, that is to say, those who will now show allegiance to the Lord God. They will be in conflict. And so there's this division this separation that runs right through the human race. And you see it very quickly in the Bible. You see uh, Cain hating his brother Abel. And why does he hate Abel? Because Abel offered the sacrifice that was required, and Cain did not. And on Abel's death, Seth becomes the the heir of the godly line. And then you see the the division between Jacob and Esau. Esau epitomizes someone who is... Kind of fleshly and pleasure-seeking in his outlook, and Jacob, despite all his his twistedness and failure, comes to be the man of faith, the man who will inherit the promise. And so it goes on. So there's the line of of descendants or offspring or seed, but also remember it can mean single offspring or seed, individuals. There is a conflict between the single offspring or seed, and the serpent. Who is this single offspring or seed? The one to come. We're looking at Bethlehem, aren't we? And there will be this conflict between that one seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, and the serpent. And we can see all of history in the context of that conflict between these two. Uh, Revelation 12, uh, which was, remember, our, our passage, uh, the evening that we had for the persecuted church. There are two visions here, of a, a, and one is a pregnant woman about to give birth, and a dragon or a great serpent waiting to devour the child. But the child, who is destined to rule the world with a rod of iron, is caught up to heaven. And it's simply a... a picture of the conflict between Christ and the serpent. And you see it in history when, when the Christ child is born and Herod seeks to consume the child and to thwart him. And when the wise men go back without telling him, of course he comes and, and massacres the, the, the infants of Bethlehem. And God sweeps away the woman and the child into safety in Egypt. Jesus comes into the conflict for us. He comes into the promised fight. Conflict, lastly, is only good news if you're going to win. Only good news if you are on the winning side. And there's no hope, is there, for Eve and her offspring winning, no matter how grimly they snarl back at the serpent, no matter how loudly they proclaim their allegiance to Christ in themselves they will not win they'll fall again and again and you know that that is true because that is our history also but our hope rests in God's initiative and he is the one who declares war and the Son of God is the warrior who comes on our behalf and his victory is certain and it's certain from the outset and it's declared here in this seed gospel, he will crush your head. You will strike his heel. Don't know about you, but I would rather have my, my heel uh, struck by a serpent than my head crushed. You see, it's it's an unequal outcome, isn't it? There's one who will have his head crushed, and there's one who will have his heel struck. If you want to kill the snake, go for the head. Crush the head. Satan's doom is writ at the beginning. And the serpent crusher will come and he will gain victory by suffering. He will have his heel smitten. On the cross, he will bear the venom of judgment on sin. The, sin, the, the seed of the woman stricken on the cross. That will seem like the end of the road. Sunday will bring a new creation. An explosion of life and light. The conqueror will step forth into everlasting day. Jesus will fulfill the Genesis 3.15 promise. It's striking it's how, how forthright God's language is to Satan at this point. It's like a general giving his battle plan to his opposite number. I will outflank you. I will take you utterly by surprise. I will march around your defenses in a night attack. And then then you will feel the full force of my artillery on your command post. You are Dead meat. And Satan, for all his guile, cannot see how God will obtain the victory. And when the serpent crusher comes, he thinks that he will be able to to derail him. He will deflect him from his path. Uh, He will be able to do what he did to Adam in the garden. And so when the serpent crusher, our second Adam, comes, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and is tempted of the serpent of satan and where the first adam fell the second adam stands and conquers and stays on that path of suffering servanthood and then satan thinks he's finally won when christ breathes his last from the cross surely The devil and all his minions are are laughing horribly as Christ dies. But the reality is that Satan has been ensnared. The debt of sin is paid because Jesus died. The doors of heaven are opened wide. And Easter brings in the, the victory. The battle, which in reality commenced, on Christmas morning has reached its final conclusion. On Easter Sunday, the conqueror steps forth to the acclaim of heaven. You know, there's so much to wonder at, isn't there, as we, as we ponder all that is here. Here's something for the ladies to savour from this verse. The victory is promised through the woman's offspring. Now, isn't that an unusual way to intimate uh, Jesus' victory? Yeah? It's as though God is saying to Satan, you sought to rob me of my glory and to do eternal damage to these human beings that I created in my own image. And you sought to do it through this woman and through your wicked deception of her. Well, here is what I am going to do. I am going to use a woman and I am going to use the new painful process of childbirth to bring the savior of the world who is going to crush your head. It's a picture of how the Lord loves to reverse the stratagems of the evil one against us and to use the very thing that he would use against us for God's own glory and our everlasting good. So our salvation begins with a woman bearing a child, a seed, who is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Isn't that lovely? And when Jesus wins... When the serpent crusher comes and wins our salvation, we will have so many of the emblems of of Eden will be reappearing. The emblems of a paradise lost are going to reoccur when Jesus comes to regain paradise for his people. When the seed comes to win victory, he'll bear a crown of thorns, the emblem of a cursed earth, because he'll be going to the cross to bear a curse on himself. He will bear the curse of sin on our behalf. And having borne the curse of death, he will descend into the dust of the earth. And there's a tree there again, just as there was a there were two significant trees in Eden. And for the serpent crusher, the the tree of the curse, which is the cross, will be turned into a tree of life. A tree of life from which we are forbidden has now been granted to us because Jesus has paid. The price. He has dealt with the curse. And God ordained it again that in the place where they would lay him in the dust, we're told there was a garden. Beautiful again, isn't it? Because Jesus is bringing us back into the garden. The garden from which we were expelled has been restored to his people. And the way the garden is regained is dramatized in that terrible moment on the cross when the sky turns black. And that great curtain, that heavy, heavy curtain that there was in the temple. You know, the curtain which divided off the Holy of Holies, the place that symbolized the presence of God from the holy place. The curtain which was a reminder that sin keeps us from God's presence. The curtain in the temple, which was embroidered with what? With cherubim. The heavenly creatures that barred the way into Eden. They're reminding the people continually, every time they see them on the curtain, that entry into God's presence is barred by sin. And on that moment when Christ became the sin-bearer, the curtain is torn from heaven's side to humanity's side. And the way to God is opened up. He has opened heaven's doors by his death and his resurrection. Sin need no longer separate us from a holy God. The conqueror has broken through on our behalf. So, you see what this gospel in Genesis is saying. It's saying, get ready for the coming of the serpent crusher. He will lead you out of the long exile that lies ahead. He will take on your foe on your behalf, and he will be victorious. His time is a long way coming, but he is coming and down through the ages God's people had that hope kept alive the hope that's here in seed form kept alive by the prophets and the priests and the kings that would speak to them of the messiah this is the good news the good news of advent time as well hark the glad sound the savior comes the savior promised long Long time in coming, but he has come. And then you have some of the, the, the best of the carols which speak about curse along with the blessing. He comes to make his blessings flow where the curse is found and joy to the world. That's what Jesus has come to do. He's come to lift the curse. He's come to uh, bring healing, substantial healing, for all of the, the effects of sin in our lives. He comes to crush the serpent, born in Bethlehem. He was bruised fearfully on Calvary, but not crushed. He is conquered. And you know, the question that cries out from our text really is, whose seed are you? Whose seed are you? If this is the case, that there is a division down through humanity and that there are only two lines, whose seed are you? By birth, by nature, we are the seed of the serpent. You see, it's not true. Not like that. I'm pretty decent. Isn't it remarkable that Jesus uses serpent language of the most religious people of his day? He he speaks to the Pharisees and speaks to them uh, of being snake-like. Now. The Pharisees went to church more often than any of us here and gave more to the poor than any of us here and were more scrupulous for the commandments than any of us here. But they were hypocrites. It was all for outward show. And Jesus says to them, You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? That's solemn, isn't it? underlines the fact that unless by faith we are in the line of the serpent crusher, then we are doomed to hell, regardless of how upright, respectable, or religious we may be. Therefore, call out to him, if you are not a Christian this morning, ask him to forgive you Cast yourself upon him. Entrust yourself to him now and to keep you all of your days because this is why he has come. Father, we give thanks for your word. We thank you for the wonder of the scriptures. We thank you that we have uh, the gospel from the very first to the last in the Bible. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful good news that Jesus has come to change everything, to make us who were once outsiders members of your family. Oh Lord, bless this gospel to each one of us this morning. Grant to us faith to look to Jesus and to believe that he will indeed cast out no one who comes to him. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing that uh, carol now, first of our carols in November. Hark the glad sound, the Saviour comes. The Saviour promised long, let every heart prepare a throne and every voice a song. He comes the prisoners to release and Satan's bondage held. The gates of brass before him burst, the iron fetters yield. Because Savior, Jesus Christ, the God of grace, will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.